Centuries ago, the prophet Jeremiah looked at the condition of the people of God and of the world around him, and his heart was grieved and broken. He wanted to give up, he wanted to quit. He just wanted to, just to say to himself, there's no hope, but there was something inside of him. He called it a fire shut up in his bones, and that fire caused him to stand up and preach the gospel, to preach it with truth. And we are calling on pastors today to be united for spiritual awakening and revival and a move of God across our land today. That's why World Challenge, myself and others are doing these pastors' conferences, two national pastors' conferences next year, to call pastors to put that fire back in their soul, that fresh wind, that fresh fire, that fresh passion. We'll be in San Diego in February and in New York City at Times Square Church. My dear friends, Pastor Carter Conlon, Pastor Tim Delina, Claude Oud, Ron Brown, R.T. Kendall, John Bailey, and many others will be teaching, preaching with great worship leaders. So join us in February or in August, San Diego, New York. The people would feel when they left that they'd actually heard a word from God as opposed to words about God. They'd heard from the heart of God. And of course, that only comes through uh, men or women in the pulpit who have spent time with him, spent time in the Word of God, spent time just uh, receiving the thought that he has for his people. That, there's a huge difference. We are welcoming to our podcast today, Pastor Carter Conlon. He took over from my father, David Wilkerson, at Times Square Church, and for many years preached for people. And that's the topic of today's episode, preaching for people. Now, if you're not a preacher, you're going to want to stay tuned because you're going to see some things that are dear to your heart. You're concerned about the content and quality of the preaching that comes to you. You don't want pablum. You don't want things watered down. You don't want things lukewarm. And so you've got to pray for your preachers and your pastors. We also want to pray for our nation in America that there be a spiritual awakening among the pastors, a revival of their hearts so that our churches could be turned, so that our nations could be turned back to God once again. Enjoy this episode with Pastor Carter Conlon. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Wilkerson here, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Carter Conlon from Times Square Church Ministries and Times Square Church itself in Manhattan, uh, New York. Uh, many of you are already familiar with his ministry, and I hope you've li listened to a sermon about preaching for people uh, that we've been putting out on at World Challenge, uh, this Preaching for uh, with Power series that we're doing. And uh, it's, been, it's been great. I, I believe a lot of people's lives are being touched, and a lot of pastors and preachers and evangelists are being uh, uh, challenged and encouraged in the Lord. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Pastor Carter. We sure do appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, well, it's been, it's been great to uh, have the privilege of traveling with you, and I've heard you preach with uh, African interpreters and Romanian interpreters and uh, <laughs> Canadian, in no, not Canadian interpreters, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so thank you for that message that you preach about preaching uh, for people. And we want to take just a few minutes to follow up on that, uh, kind of dig, dig dig a little deeper and kind of get behind the curtains a little bit and uh, sort of pick your brain a little bit and your heart uh, as to uh, some of the things you were mentioning in your preaching and then a couple other questions about your own preaching uh, ministry as well. So let's get uh, dig right in here. Um, on, on Sunday mornings for the past, how many years were you uh, – senior pastor at Times Square Church? 19 years. 19 years. So for 19 years, almost every Sunday, you uh, left your apartment in Manhattan and you walked across the street into the Mark Hallinger Theater. You got ready to get up on the stage and there was several th thousands and thousands, near 10,000 people coming to hear you preach. 
tell me what you think, not what you were getting, what you were thinking about your sermon, but what do you think the people, uh, mom with three children, uh, single dad, um, lonely grandmother, what do you think they were feeling and thinking um, as they came into your church? Uh, does that make sense what I'm asking you? Uh, the yeah, well, yeah, well, Gary, one of the hallmarks of Times Square Church since its inception was the presence of God. And I, I think the people, you know, I'm, I'm only speaking from feedback and from experience, but the people would feel when they left that they'd actually heard a word from God as opposed to words about God. They'd heard from the heart of God. And of course, that only comes through uh, men or women in the pulpit who have spent time with him, spent time in the word of God, spent time just uh, receiving the thought that he has for his people. That, there's a huge difference. See, most of the time on Sunday morning, I, I wouldn't actually be preaching what I'd been studying the week before. Uh, it would just be a word that God just simply, because I've spent time with him, it would be a word that he just dropped into my spirit. And it might have nothing to do with anything I've been, I've been studying or researching, uh, but it always would have the same effect. When it's a word from God, there is a dramatic uh, empowerment behind the word that actually changes people's lives. It's not just, a, um, it's not just a, an accumulation of more knowledge about God, but it's an actual word from God. Mm. And all I can say in reference to that is there's a, a, a recreative power behind God's word when, when he is the one, in a sense, that's enabling it to be spoken and is is producing the results in the people. It, I, I've had people come up to me after a sermon on Sunday and thanking me for God speaking such and such to them, which never came out of my mouth at all. And and that was always one of my prayers. Yeah. One of my prayers was, Lord, I can only say one thing to a thousand people here today, but you can say a thousand things to a thousand people. And I always prayed that way. So God, override me and speak to your people. And if I don't hit the mark, I'm, I'm trusting that you will. And I had people come up to me after a sermon and say, when you said this, it impacted, and I never said it. Mm. So there's no way to explain that, but apart from that, the, the Lord is overriding us as his vessels and speaking directly to his people. Wow. Sounds like you're saying that there's something different going on in uh, just studying scripture and then putting some notes on a page and getting up there and uh, doing your best to uh, be an orator and proclaim that message. There's something going on behind the scenes, like a, a power of the Holy Spirit, it sounds like is what you're talking about. Is that something that almost any pastor or preacher can get, or is, or is that? Yes. Yeah, we have to be willing to be open to it. Um, you know, a, part of the dilemma of ministry is almost like I call it the Uza syndrome. Remember, he had to put his hand to the ark. We feel like we have to almost like stabilize God. Or, or maybe our underlying motive for preaching is that we want to be of reputation or loved by the people or whatever. If anything else gets in there, then it generally shifts us off on an off-ramp to where we're actually bringing our thoughts about God. Now, it, they're not untrue. That, that's where this gets interesting. Now, here's a textbook case of this. On the day of Pentecost, you have thousands of people coming from the temple in Jerusalem, making their way home or to the temple, whatever the case might have been. And they have all heard words about God. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the scrolls have been opened, Isaiah's been read, such and such, you know, the history's been recounted or relived. And suddenly they're confronted 
with 120 people through whom God is now speaking. See, they've heard thoughts about God, but now they're hearing words from God. And that's what stopped at least 3,000 in their tracks and said, you know, we've, we've, we've sat in a place, we've heard knowledge, we've heard scripture, but we've never heard this. And, you know, I, to this day, I think in America, Gary, we, we fell into the, I'm not going to call it a trap, it's not a trap, but we fell into the pattern of bringing the people thoughts about God, our best thoughts about God. And we built churches on thoughts about God. But there haven't been that many preachers in our time that have actually spoken from the throne of God. And there's a huge difference between the two. One is divine, the other is good, but the, but the other, one has power, the other doesn't. Yeah. The other just accumulates knowledge, but it doesn't necessarily have the power to change the hearer. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking, as you say that, you, you're almost, you're talking about two categories. There might be a third, uh, those who preach with the power and authority, those who just speak words about God. And then there, I, I think you'd agree with me, there are many churches, they're lucky to even get words about God. You know what I mean? They're, yeah, they are. Pop psychology, maybe at yeah. the end, sort of like, you know, and God wants to bless you with these things. And so and yeah. those three categories and, uh, you know, and man, it should be great to see the pulpit today and preachers today trans be transformed, renewed in their own inner man so that they might become oracles, that they might have that, like Isaiah, his lips touched with coals of the altar and, you know, you know, Jeremiah says, you know, he put words in my mouth to say that that's, that's a lot different than uh, just uh, God talk. And uh, so how, how so if somebody's listening to us today, go like, I kind of feel like my messages and when I get up to the pulpit, I, I sort of feel like, uh, I, let me, let me back up. There's probably two kinds of people that are listening to, you know, one are saying, you know, uh, maybe you're convicting me today in a good way because uh, I've sort of been an entertainer. And I, and I really feel something calling me to be a, a, a preacher, the, a, a man of God. And then the other, the other ones are sort of like, I really want to be a man of God. I've always wanted to be. But when I get up in the pulpit, I'm not feeling that, 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 that the, the anointing you're talking about. I don't feel like I have that. So, so first speak to the, to the one who wants to switch from like an entertainment kind of self-help gospel to, to really saying like, I'm convicted by not wanting to be that. How, how can I change and become... Uh, a, a preacher of righteousness. Is there anything that I need to do or understand? Well, I can only speak from experience. Um, <laughs> I, I was speaking at a pastor's conference in Texas one time to uh, several hundred pastors. And <clears throat> at the break time, a group of about a dozen or so young pastors more or less surrounded me in the hallway with, um, with laptops and, and ready to take notes. And their first question was interesting, is what is your 10-year plan? Wow. I just laughed. I said, my 10-year plan is to get through tomorrow, and it never changes every day. I said, you know, number one, if you have a five- or 10-year plan in your ministry, you're not open to hear from God anymore because there is no such a thing. The Lord does not give you 10 years in advance, even five years in advance. Wow. I don't even know week to week when I'm going to preach, and it's, it's really up to the Holy Spirit to do that. Yeah. So after answering that question, the second young man said to me, what is the greatest obstacle I will ever face in ministry? And, and without hesitation, I looked at him. I said, you are the greatest obstacle you will yeah. ever face. I said, your desire, you've got to get through your desire for preeminence, desire for titles, the desire to be loved by the people, the desire to be. And it's finally, got, you've got to get to the place 
where you and I are out of the way and it's all now about the people. See, that's where the channel opens. When it's really just about the people. I, I've, when I was a senior pastor at Times Square Church, I told all the associate pastors, I said, you have to preach to the Hispanic drywaller at the back of the church whose English is not his first language. If you can reach that man, you can reach the whole church. You will reach the intellectual, you'll reach the theologian. And I said, but you're going to have to get away from the desire to be thought of uh, in esteem, the, the desire to be loved or, um, you know, accorded the accolades of men. You know, you're going to have to get through all that, and your preaching is going to have to be just about the people. Now, I remember telling these uh, young pastors and others like them this story. There's no one with a more brilliant mind in the history of the world than Jesus Christ. I mean, the knowledge he had. Had the ability. I mean, he could have sat down on the mountainside and unfolded mysteries. He could have, you know, we thought we're smart because we discovered DNA. I mean, he could he could tell us the origins of the universe. And, you know, I mean, there's 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 no limits. I mean, it, literally, I mean, you, you think of the things he could have, have told us. But I, I just see him gathering a group of people on a mountainside or in a house, as the case might have been. And he just opens his mouth and says, now, there once was a man who had two sons. Now, he's got the most brilliant mind in the universe, but he brings it down. Remember, because he, you know, the scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, who being equal with God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but did what? He made himself of no reputation, from the ultimate reputation to no reputation. He took on the form of a servant, which means from giving all the orders <laughs> to receiving and obeying the orders and became obedient unto death. That, that's a transition from everybody obeying him to he being obedient to another authority uh, to the point of his death. And it was this, I, when I started to understand this, I said, Jesus, help me to reach the people. You know, and he says, well, you have to be willing to be of no reputation, period. You have to be a servant to the body of Christ, and you have to obey what I give you to speak. If you'll do that, you can speak for me. Or as a matter of fact, I can speak through you. Because that's who Christ is. That's his heart. And I, I told this young man in Texas, for example, in this, this group, I said, your hardest battle is going to be to get through yourself. But once you get through it, uh, you will be able to start speaking. God will start speaking through you to the people. That's the only way I can put it. Mm. It's a shame. An, a, an older friend of mine, another minister, he told me, he said, this is awful. He said, you finally get it right and you die. <laughs> you yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> and he was right. He died two years later. <laughs> yeah. you know? He says, you finally figure it out and you die. You got to get through this whole hazing of yourself yeah. and the whole of what the ministry world tells you a, ministry, a minister is supposed to be. You got to get through all of that stuff. And you finally just find the heart of God after all of it, and you just start speaking to the people in yeah. terms that they can understand. You know, even, um, you know, I had a guy on my uh, staff that was extremely intelligent. And I said, you've got you've to bring it down, my friend. You've got to bring it down. You've got to speak in a way that people can understand you. I, I know they won't maybe think as highly of you, but at least the Word of God will start reaching them. Yeah. You know, I said, you know, don't, don't be standing there always talking about the omniscience and the omnipresence and the omnipotence. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking at a men's conference one time, Gary, right. <laughs> and I was using those words. Now, these are guys from inner city New York, right? Uh, and uh, 
if they do have a job, it's generally blue collar, a lot of the guys, okay? So we got about 300 guys here. And, and I'm saying, you know, the God that we serve is omnipresent. The God we serve is omnipotent. The God we serve is omniscient. <laughs> and everybody's just looking at me like a cow looks through a page wire fence. Sort of like <laughs> I, said, I said, okay, let me say it. Let me say it this way. If God were here, he would say, I'm here. I'm no everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm all powerful and I'm for you. <laughs> Everybody started shouting and clapping, you know, because it just, just the ability to, to get rid of all the stuff that the root of it is to want to appear intelligent mm -hmm. and to just say it the way people can understand it. Okay. I mean, that, uh, this is a long answer for a short question, but that's, that's powerful, profound, man. I love the that. beauty of interviewing a pastor is you can ask a question and go to Starbucks for across the street for coffee <laughs> and come back, and I'll still be talking. That's, that's what uh, you know. This is this is the stuff that I think uh, really impact people's lives because you know they get to hear from your heart. And uh, you know, there's not many. One of the great things about technology, I have a few things against technology, but one of the things I am grateful for is it, you know gives. You know, like you and I have both had the opportunity to sit in rooms like this, you know, not in front of a video screen, but just, you know, in the living room or what they call at church, the green room, the backstage room, you know, with some pretty amazing men of God. You know, you talked about people in their 80s that they're finally getting and then they go to be with the Lord. But, you know, if you can capture them in that last two, five, ten years of their life, you know, somebody, uh, you know, and so this this type of conversation, I think, really can be a great help to people and, and particularly at you know, at our age, I think we're just starting to get something to say now. Uh, you know, yes, sir. Grace. Um, somebody asked me yesterday, said, uh, knowing that we're doing the series on preachers for preaching, preaching for preachers. And this person said, uh, it seems like you have all older preachers. Uh, can you think we can get somebody younger? And I said, well, you know, it's like, you, I don't think we really get to understand some of these things until we're 65. And this person said to me, well, you're, you're only 62. And I said, yeah, so I, I'm telling you, I don't understand it yet. Um, I think it's great to get get the wisdom of uh, of others around you, and, and I'm, I'm so again thankful for this, uh, Carter. You've talked about a lot about in a very uh, important, a really important message you have on your heart. Uh, you know, you even mentioned it in the message that you did for us on on this preaching series, uh, sort of about the condition of of America. You know, the crisis. Uh, that I, and I think you even used the word that, that you know, uh, it might be, this, our nation might be unrecognizable if we continue down this particular path. Is that something that you really feel more and more God's been speaking to you? And if so, can you just take a few minutes to tell us what the Lord's been speaking to your heart about the condition of our nation? Well, we're, we're at the tipping, tipping point into total godlessness and everything that that's going to represent. I think even with this, now, I'm not, I'm not, a political person, so I'm, I'm not talking about an, an election, but even with this upcoming election, we're, we're seeing it, it's, it, you know, it reminds me of when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, there were, there were two that were sent to stand on the top of these mountaintops and just kind of decree the blessings and the curses of God. You know, blessings, if you follow me, that you'll be blessed in the field, you'll be blessed in the home, you'll be blessed in the family, your storehouse will be blessed. But on the other side, if you turn from me, then there was the curses that were pronounced over the nation of Israel. to be cursed in the field and cursed in the family and all of these things. And I look out at what, what we're seeing with the fires in, in Portland and uh, places like that, and you're, you're seeing the two sides now. We either have an option of turning back to God 
as a people and asking for a spiritual awakening, or this is going to be our future, the violence in our cities, the, the, the incivility, our children being indoctrinated into uh, confusion, gender confusion, and, and just confusion about life and God and family. And we're, we're being literally overrun by darkness at this point. So we're, at, we're, we're going to tip if we don't turn back to God. I, I have little doubt about that. And I think that the America that has been in existence for 400 years will actually cease to exist. There'll be the emergence of a new uh, society with almost unbelievable deprivation and uh, just uh, uh, immorality parading itself as good. Mm-hmm. We'll probably see laws passed against those of us who hold the biblical values. We'll become haters, and these will be, it'll be hate crimes to perhaps stand in a pulpit somewhere and just say that you know certain things are good and certain things are evil. Mm-hmm. And those days are not 20 or 30 years away. Those days are five years away yeah. at, the, at the very most. Yeah. So the very first house in America where, where the 51 or so surviving pilgrims prayed in mm-hmm. 1620, 1621, they had, they had no strength, no power, no plan, no provision. They had nothing but a promise from God that he was going to give them a nation where men and women could worship freely according to conscience and according to the word of God. And I think America has been in large respect almost the envy of the world for many, many years. It was the hand of God that gave America this prosperity and the, and the wisdom and the nation uh, that we have. Now we're in danger of throwing it all away. Mm-hmm. Our spiritual awakening is our only hope. We're not going to get out of this politically because the darkness is too entrenched in the culture now. And the, 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 the godless elements of our society have our schools and our high schools and our colleges. So realistically, uh, we are in a very, very dire position. We're in the, we're in the place that they were, the children of Israel uh, once were, and only God uh, can give us the, the victory now. So in, in, a, in a culture in chaos, um, the moral degradation uh does it change our preaching at all like say from 50 years ago when almost everybody came to church and kind of christian families uh living christian morals uh do you feel like we need to change our preaching at all well i think it's from wow you live in a nice neighborhood to your house is on fire <laughs> i mean uh i think it would be derelict of us to to not warn the people to at least prepare and challenge the people to pray and to believe god you know, that, that when we do pray, there is a chance that the Lord, you know, even David, remember when, uh, when he prayed for the, the baby that was born after Bathsheba, and he said, who knows, but well, God will turn and be merciful. And this is more or less our moment in history now to say, God, we don't have a plan to get out of this, and we don't have any more strength than the pilgrims had, but we're believing you that as we petition you, that you'll give us, grant to us a moment of mercy, mm-hmm. a, a sweep of mercy throughout the country. Uh, to, because really, Gary, it's all about souls. What else do we do this for? It's, it's about eternal souls. Everything else is going to one day be folded up anyway. It's about, it's about people like you and I and others that are going to go yeah. into an eternity with God. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's so helpful. The, uh, you know, I was thinking about when you're talking about going back to Plymouth, uh, you know, in the condition of America the past 400 years. And you had that season where, you know, I guess when I look back and hear Jonathan Edwards, for instance, preach... You know, I thought, well, he's preaching in a Christian culture, but I don't. Th- he didn't seem to think so, you know, because he talked about sinners in the hands of an angry God. And, uh, you know, if you look, read his writings, he talked about the drunkenness on the streets and the prostitution. And, you know, so, so a lot of these problems aren't necessarily all that 
new. I think they're getting more pronounced and more pervasive, but uh, we're certainly, I think pastors throughout generations have had to face this. And I, I think that kind of a restoration of that sort of strong preaching of an Edwards and a Wesley and a, and a Finney and a Moody and a Spurgeon where, where there's this, and it's not just because they're, we're glorifying men, but you know, these are men, I think they really set themselves apart and really wanted to say something to their generation and understood the times uh, and then preach that. And I, you know, I, I really admire you for having st- st- uh, stood faithful in that, that preaching of holiness and righteousness and truth and not compromising. Uh, if your phone doesn't die, uh, I want to ask you the same question I asked. Uh, I asked, I talked to R.T. Kendall a couple of days ago because uh, he did one of our sermons for the series. And I asked him about his experience with uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a previous pastor there of his church and a great author and preacher. They say he's one of the greatest preachers of all time and asked Kendall what he learned from, uh, you know, being with another man of God like that. And, and he had some good things to say. Uh, I don't want to get, you know, uh, too famous yeah. here, but I would like to ask you sort of, you know, you, you, you sat with my father for many years, uh, David Wilkerson, and, and the two of you together preached uh, sort of tag team for a season until he went to be with the Lord. And then you took the helm there as well. Um, anything about preaching that, I know you guys learn from each other a lot, but specifically on preaching, is there anything about preaching? Maybe not. I don't know if he ever talked to you about preaching or not, but or maybe just listening to his preaching. Anything you learned uh, from him? Well, one thing he told me, he says, Carter, uh, listen, learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. Learn to hear the voice of the Spirit and speak what God is speaking. Uh, and I want, I'll tell you a funny story one time. I was preaching one time, and uh, the place just exploded in glory. I mean, people were up on their feet shouting in the balcony and downstairs and clapping and jumping. And I had about 15 minutes more of notes. Uh, So I had the people sit down, and I finished my message. (laughs) And then you have to try to recreate the moment that you just left to finish your message. And I sat down, and your dad leaned over to me. He says, Carter, he said, for heaven's sake, when you strike oil, cap the well. (laughs) I never forgot that. A second thing I learned is don't try to explain everything. One time he got up to preach, he said Lazarus was dead. That was the very first words out of his mouth. He never explained who Lazarus was. He never said Jesus went to his house and Mary and Martha. The whole thing we always do. He just said Lazarus was dead. And that's where he started. It changed the way I preached. You know, because I would have added about eight minutes of unnecessary information to that statement. That's and good. he just, and so, but I realized that everybody in the sanctuary was on the same page. The saved, the unsaved, the biblical, the one with biblical knowledge, one with no knowledge. They just all knew some guy called Lazarus was dead. And that's where he started his message. Uh, I love that. That's and, good. Uh, you know, you just learn to cut to the chase and get to the point. And then when you're done, you're done. Yeah. You know, I, I I saw your dad a few times just close his Bible after 20 minutes and say, I'm done, folks. And then give an altar call mm-hmm. completely different than what he was speaking on. He said, the Lord told me to give an altar call right now and help those who are dealing with, you know, I'll, I'll just throw something, I'm dealing with depression, yeah. the crippling depression. And then the next thing you know, you got 400 people are weeping. Thank God for Pastor Carter, the impact that he's had not only in New York City, but around the world, and the impact he's having on us through this episode. If you're a pastor, I know you're going to want to hear this content. 
and, and please pass it on to other pastors you know. If you're a congregant, we know that you have a concern for preaching because it affects your heart, your family, your church, your city, your nation. And so praying for your pastors, believing that God will raise up mighty men of God with fire shut up in their bones, just like Pastor Carter has. I pray that I have that as well. Pray for us as we engage in Fire in Our Bones conferences in February of 2023 in San Diego, California, and August in New York City at Times Square Church of uh, 2023 as well. We're believing God to revive the church and awaken the nation. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.